Uh, my name's Terry Brown. Uh, Jim is covering my Sunday school class this morning. I teach up in uh, Saudi, in the at the Saudi campus. I have a adult class there, and he's filling in for me today. He asked me to uh, present a Sunday school lesson that um, I consider my best ever. And uh, what I decided to do was do what I did yesterday. So uh, that's the best. To me, you know, I want to think that I get better as I go. Uh, and so I'm going to do a message I did yesterday. Uh, and so it's an older, uh, I've got files and files of sermons from when I pastored uh, and material to go through. And I'm going to try to break it up so we can participate one with another. I know Jim likes that. And I frequently find myself lecturing. But um, anyway, my name's Terry Brown. I'm at the Saudi Daisy campus. I was here for a time. My wife was involved with Sunday school. I did some filling in for Daryl in his Sunday school. That's why I remember the good sweets from there, and I got something from this class. I appreciate that. I took those lessons to my Sunday school, and I have my daughter bake goods. Uh, and I also give away free newspapers at my Sunday school class. I, I refuse to swallow goldfish still, but, you know, anyway, that, you do what you have to do. All right, now, uh, this material, what I've been looking at in my Sunday school is the, uh, the book of Galatians. I generally go through a whole book at one time, going verse by verse through it. I put the uh, feelers out there for the class, what they wanted to go through, and they talked about the book of Galatians. So I'm going to talk to you about the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 today, uh, and we'll talk about this idea concerning the gospel message. The important thing to keep in mind from the book of Galatians, in the forefront of your mind, you should be thinking about this idea. It is the gospel is the gospel. And it's nothing else. You don't add anything to the gospel. Because in this region, there's a tendency for people to add the works of the law to the gospel. So it, it's not only the gospel alone that brings salvation. It's the gospel plus some other things. And Paul is making a very clear case that it is the gospel plus nothing uh, that, that secures our salvation. Thank you so much. I, I found this this morning in my car and had some food on it. I tried to knock the food off of it and ended up uh, breaking the little thingy off there. So wear this so you know who I am. All right. Here's the key thing. I always like to have a key thing for the forefront of our minds when we're going through a particular text. The key idea is this. What you think about the gospel determines what you do with it. What you think about the gospel determines what you do with it. And so that's going to be the key thing that we keep in our minds uh, during our time here. Because different people think different things about what the gospel is. So we're going to talk about this from this book of Galatians. We'll look a little bit at the uh, book of Acts and draw some historical context that will help us and then hopefully make some direct application uh, for our own lives. All right, now, uh, I teach humanities at Chat State. Uh, and so what I wanted to do is bring a little bit of uh, reading to us from, uh, this is from the 15th century, 1500s. This guy's name is Machiavelli. Machiavelli is a man who wrote a book called The Prince, and some of you are probably familiar with this in some of your uh, readings when you're in school. Uh, I take a moment to talk about this because part of what's happening in this particular writing, The Prince, is something that's affecting political theory right now. Uh, it bothers me that it doesn't matter who the president is. Does it not, you know, they lie, uh, whether, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. They, they tell us stories. They tell us something, they do something else. 
They think we're idiots. Uh, and so that's bothersome to me. But it, it's so rampant that they continue to do it. And because they think that we don't, we're not paying attention. And in their minds, their political theory is driven by this writing from Machiavelli. It's, it's interesting. In the 1500s, listen to what he has to say. Um, he says this, How princes should keep their promises. Now, a prince, in his mind here, is like a monarch. And it's a person, this treatise is really about power and how to gain power and how to keep power. That's why it's so influential today because the whole concept of, of, uh, of politics has to do with the idea of gaining power. All right, so let's look at this. How princes should keep their promises. Never has a shrewd prince lacked justifying reasons to make his promise breaking appear honorable. So in other words, they know when they say something, it's not going to happen. But they want to they want to say what they say to make everybody feel good, to make us feel happy. Now, I'm not picking on any one particular person, but I'll give you some examples of this. Healthcare is not going to cost you a dime. But where does that come from? That, that ha- they have to know it's a lie when they utter it. And someone writes the speeches. I'm not going to fully blame the president. Someone writes the speeches in order for these things to be spoken. So there's actually a handbook that teaches them how to do this kind of stuff and what to do once you do it. Listen to what else it says. The one who knows best how to play the fox comes out best. But he must understand how well to disguise the animal's nature and must be a great simulator and dissimulator. So simple-minded are men, and that's referring to us, male and female, us. So simple-minded are men and so controlled by immediate necessities that a prince who deceives always finds men who let themselves be deceived. This guy was writing this in the 1500s. And the tragedy here is this, that this is influencing modern political theory. In other words, when politicians start their political careers, they spend time absorbing this material. And it becomes pragmatism. Here's what else he says. He who holds to what is right when he can but knows how to do wrong when he must. So you know to do right, but when the opportunity comes and presents itself, it's okay to do wrong in their thinking. A wise prince then is very careful never to let out of his mouth a single word not weighty with the above-mentioned five qualities. He appears to them who see and hear him talk all mercy, all faith, all integrity, all humanity, and all religion. Everybody sees what you appear to be. Few men perceive what you are. And this is a track that teaches people how to be politically savvy today, and it's kind of sad. Um, And I use that example to show that when it comes to truth, the writer of this text is saying that truth fluctuates, that truth is changing, truth is determined by your situation. The Apostle Paul has a different idea of this. God has a different idea. When God talks about what the gospel is and what the gospel message means, he's very specific. And and there's no wiggle room when it comes to what the gospel is. So you and I have to have in our minds made up, settled in our minds, what the gospel message is and what it is not so that we can present it to people clearly 
so that we can know when we're in the midst of living with other people what it is we have to offer them so that we can share it with them very clearly. So the idea, again, is what we think about the gospel determines what we do with it. Let's look at a couple examples from the book of Acts. Uh, chapter 10, we'll start here. Um, the first idea is this. Peter, uh, Peter is given a message from God, and this message is a little bit contrary to what Peter uh, is expecting. But the idea is this. The position concerning salvation is settled. God's position concerning salvation is settled. Let's look at Acts 10. We'll begin in verse 14. Acts 10, 14. And now, understand what's happening here. He's on the roof praying, and a sheet comes down from heaven, and on that sheet has all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean. And God says to him in a loud voice, verse 13, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Now, Peter is talking to God in this vision. And how does he respond according to that verse? What does he say? Now, let's think back historically through, through Peter here. When's the last time we remember Peter said, Oh no, Lord, not, not I. Remember this? He said, One of you are going to deceive me. Peter's point is, Oh no, not I. Not I. So now, it, it's reversed here a little bit. God is saying... Do this thing. And Peter's point is, no, I just don't do that. Because I'm, I'm a good observer of the law. And I'm not going to violate the law. So God tells him basically, uh, he says, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. A voice spoke to him a second time. Don't make unclean what God has made clean. So God is speaking to Peter here and helping him to have a little bit of a change of heart concerning the issue of what is clean and what is unclean. Now, the direct application for this is the fact that Peter is going to take the message of the gospel to Gentiles. He's going to take it to Cornelius' household in this chapter. And here's the problem. He's taking the gospel message, which is intended in Peter's mind for a Jewish audience, to people who are non-Jews. They're Gentiles. And so the tendency for the person who is a non is a Jew is to encumber the gospel message with the law. Help them keep the law. So, in other words, the point is, here's the message. Don't complicate the message. Give the message straight. Now, why does that apply to us today? How does that apply to us today? What do we have a tendency to do when we're sharing the gospel message? What do we do? If we share the gospel message, go ahead. We complicate it. That's exactly right. We overcomplicate it. And, and what else do we do? Think about expectations you have for the unsaved. What are your expectations for the unsaved? People that you know that are not saved. Well, if he would just clean this up, if he would just change this thing, right? If they would just make this right, the problem is we look at people who are spiritually dead and we're expecting to act, them to act like they're alive. And when someone's spiritually dead, they're going to act like they're spiritually dead. They cannot perceive the things of God. So this is part of the reason we have to keep it simple. We don't want to overly complicate it. Peter doesn't have to bring them under Jewish law. He just needs to bring them to a saving knowledge of the Savior. This is why. Works of righteousness according to the law do not save people. The keeping the Sabbath does not save a person. The way a person is saved is by trusting in the one 
who has completely kept the law for them. That's the person of Jesus. So it's Jesus plus nothing. It's putting our confidence in what Jesus has done for us, not in, well, if you just stop smoking, everything will be all right. If you would just stop drinking, if you could clean your mouth up, everything would be okay. Listen, tell people specifically about the gospel. Let that be what changes them. Because when the gospel gets a hold of somebody, the gospel makes us new. It brings us from death to life. So the idea here is this. God has a position concerning the gospel, and that position is settled. And he's trying to communicate that position to Peter. And Peter has a little bit of a different idea in his mind. So Peter has a problem with what God has said, but God responds to him. Now, Peter is on a small scale what happens to the church on a large scale. The the early Jews and the people that were operating and were religious already had a great problem with simply trusting in what Jesus has done. Because why? They want people to keep the law. They want people to keep the traditions. Is that what we do? We, We expect people to keep our traditions. Our traditions are meaningless to people who don't know Christ. They don't mean anything. And so we say, we'll just come to church. People don't want to come to church. A lot of times. The people I'm dealing with, but you know what? They're going to listen to me. And when I share the gospel with them, then when they're born again, they have a desire to come to church. Is this how it works? So sometimes we have a kind of a mistaken model and we're like, well, we're so good and we're so righteous that people are just going to come. The point is, people come because we're sharing a message that has already been settled back in eternity past. The message of the gospel of Christ. And when you and I take it to the streets and share it with other people in a clear, concise fashion, people will come. I think the doors of the church could bust wide open if we would simply share the message with other people. We share the message. Right? So, let's look at this. The position concerning the gospel has been settled in eternity past. Now Paul, he's a, he was a good Jew. He was a Jew's Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. But now he is dealing with the people who have the same kind of idea in their mind. And specifically in the book of Galatians, here's what it is. That men and women, men should be circumcised. That's the specific thing. Because circumcision for the man is a sign of a law keeper. And so when you believe with your heart that Jesus died for your sins and you're made right by trusting in his substitutionary atonement for you, then that plus circumcision makes you right in these Jewish people's minds. And Paul's point is, that's not how it works. Your righteousness comes specifically from and only from what Christ has done for you. This is, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the simplicity of the gospel. We do not have to do a bunch of stuff. I don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. What I need to do is trust that Christ has already jumped through the hoops that are necessary. It's what God has required and it's already settled. So we should have it clear in our mind concerning what the gospel message is. All right? What does it involve? This is outside of here. I'm not looking at the text here. What What does the gospel message involve? What is it? What do you have to have? You have to have some specific things. What? What? Blood. Got to have blood. And specific blood in this case. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. Right? It's the blood of Christ. What else do you have to have? 
death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that is the object of our faith. It's not blind faith. It is we believe something specific, something specific happened. That I use the term substitutionary atonement. That's what we're talking about. Death, burial, and resurrection. Well, what else do you have to have for salvation? Repentance. This is something people don't talk about. Repenting means turning from something. So that means we have to admit something. What, what, and this is very hard for people. Because as soon as you say what you plug the sin in, a liar. You lied to me the other day. So we know you're a liar. Right? I mean, is that hard? People do not want to admit that they've done anything wrong. And people have to come to a place where they know they've sinned against the Holy God. If you don't have that recognition, what are you saved from? You have to admit that. You have to acknowledge that with your lips that you've sinned and trust in Christ. And then what? Then what? If, you, if a person is brought under conviction of sin and they admit they're sinful and they trust in the blood of Christ for the salvation of their sins, that Jesus died for them, what else is necessary? What is it? Faith. Well, yeah, you've trusted, you've placed your the, the point is, that's it. Well, what else do you need? Okay, four backflips with a double pike position. No, that's all you need. That's faith. That's say, when someone is at that place where they admit their sinfulness, when they trust in Christ's work for them, they are moved from this category of death to this category of life. There's nothing else required. And then what happens is, we let the Holy Spirit do His work in their lives. And that's going to manifest itself, hopefully, with them coming to join a body of believers. Right? All right, so, it's not Terry's simple plan. It's God's plan. It's already settled. We don't, have, don't expect people to clean their behavior up before they come to the cross. The cross is what cleans people's behavior up. Think about our own experience when we came to Christ. Now some, some of us have, were small when we came to Christ. And it's hard for us to have wrestled with the depth, depravity, the depths of depravity of sin. But some of us have been through a whole lot. Right? We've been through a whole lot of experiences. And we know that we need forgiveness. And we know from what we've been saved. So this is the picture here. It's settled by God. Now let's look at one more thing. This position... When we believe this way, it produces fruit. Making people come to church every time the doors are open for them to be saved, and there are some persuasions that teach that, that the only way for salvation is through the church. Is, is that the only way to salvation? Through coming to church? That, that's not the way to salvation. That's a way to hear about the way to salvation. But that does not make anyone saved. See, and, and we do this. We have all these extra little things that we expect from people when it comes to salvation. This is what you must do. And God's position is very clear. It is belief. It is repentance. Confession with your mouth. So God's position produces fruit. Here's the deal. Let's look at Acts chapter 14. Somebody read this for us. Acts 14 verses 22 through 23. Someone read that for us. Acts 14, 22 through 23. And I want you to think about what's happening in this passage as it's being read. Okay, so what's taking place here concerning uh, fruit being produced? 
strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to be loyal to the faith. So many disciples are being made, and this is an early movement in the church. Many disciples are being made. They're being strengthened in their souls. They're being prepared for tribulation. Now, this is, it's interesting. In the early church, the concept of trusting in the gospel, with that came also a need to be prepared for tribulation. Because why? Why is that? If you're a follower of Christ, you understand this. What accompanies your faith? Persecution accompanies with it. And if you're not experiencing persecution, maybe, I'm not saying you're asking for persecution, maybe you're not sharing your faith. Much of the persecution I experience is because I tell people about Christ. When I tell people about Christ, you get slammed. Right? Why? Because you're entering into spiritual territory. You're trying to bring people from death to life. You're not doing it. God's doing it. But part of the collateral damage of what takes place is you suffer persecution. Now here's a really cool thing about it. What does persecution do for us according to Scripture? Okay, I'm not saying it's pleasant. But what does it do for us? It strengthens our faith. It makes us more like Christ. And through these things, we, have a, we understand God's mind better. We understand the things of Christ because we're identifying with Christ. We're not adding to our salvation, but we are growing in our faith. So the point is this from this text. We have, this is a position that's been settled already, but it's a position that demonstrates and produces fruit. When we obey God, follow His plan for sharing the word, what happens? Fruit is produced. And true fruit happens. True fruit, fruit occurs. And also, leadership are appointed. All right. This last week, I went to, uh, I flew down to a place called Fort Lauderdale. I have some kin that live down there. My stepfather got a car for me, uh, a route car. I work for the newspaper. So I need an old beater car that I could throw a route with and don't care if it runs into the ground. And so I went down there, bought a $1,500 car, a Honda Accord with less than 100,000 original miles on it. All right? Hey, sweet deal. And I'm like, I'm all over it. I make, as soon as I got off the phone, he described the car to me. I went there and I had high expectations. And when I looked at one side of the car, I was very happy. But when I looked at the other side of the car, my expectations were not met because it was all dented in. And there's a hole big enough in the side of that car for a raccoon to crawl in, which I already have trouble with raccoons crawling in my car as it is. Now he's got an open door. Come on in to Terry's car. So my expectations dropped. But you know what? I didn't say anything to my stepfather about the car being wrecked. I told him I needed a route car. And you know what he got for me? A route car. I drove it all the way from West Palm Beach to this place and traveled at the speed limit maybe a little over because I'm I tend to not lean toward legalism but liberalism <laughs> all right so I was a little over but I was with I was within the tolerance I was within the tolerance so here I'm driving along I didn't have to add one drop of oil to the car I didn't have to drop add one drop of fluid other than gasoline to get here and I got great mileage now my heart kind of dropped a little bit when I saw the car because I had expectations. But now I'm driving the car and taking it on the route, and guess what? My stepfather provided for me. He provided for me something good. 
And it may not have been exactly what I thought it should be, but it's what I needed. And this is the gospel. Our Father has provided for us what is necessary. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to complicate it. Complicate it. We just need to drive it. We just need to use it and share it with people. And it will make a difference in people's lives. It will bring people from death to life. Now, we've said two things so far, and this isn't even from the passage we're looking at. We're doing that from to get some information, background information to this material. Here's the idea. Settle this issue in your mind. Settle it. Because it's already settled. And it produces fruit, so God wants us to settle it in our own minds. And that means to agree with Him about it. Let's look at what it says in Galatians 2. Now we're into the text. and <laughs> I have five minutes. Galatians. Galatians 2. Let's look at it real quick. Galatians, Ephesians. Here's what he says in... After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus." That we might have, that might, they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now here's the idea. Paul is convinced concerning the gospel message. He has seen it work firsthand for 14 years he's done ministry. And he's also done the first missionary journey during this time. So he's seen that it works. And he's ready to tell other people about what God has done. So he goes to Jerusalem. And he's part of a team that's working together. So Paul is convinced. It's settled in his mind, this issue of salvation. God is obe- Paul is obedient. <coughs> God tells him to go to Jerusalem, and he goes. That's verse 2. He gives him an audience with the leadership. He opens up doors for him to present his message. And then the third idea from this point is, Paul is defensive. Titus is a test case. He's a Greek that's not circumcised that was a part of the fruit of his ministry. So uh, when the Seattle Seahawks play Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos next Sunday, we're going to see this old adage work itself out probably. The best offense, it doesn't really matter necessarily how good Russell Wilson is. But Russell Wilson is a good quarterback. He's not a Peyton Manning, but he doesn't have to be a Peyton Manning. Because why? Seattle defense is the number one defense in the league. And you can say whatever you want about Mr. Sherman and being arrogant, They've got a great defense. Now, I personally hope that Peyton Manning and them prove to be stronger because I have allegiance to Peyton Manning and I'm an AFC guy because I'm a Bengals fan. So I'd like to see the AFC win. But normally, defense makes a difference in a game. You want a strong offense? A great defense is a strong offensive weapon. All right? And so here's Paul. He's going on the offensive, but he's also doing it through defense. He's providing a test case here for them. Now, I was on this plane, and I was talking to this young guy. It's amazing how God ordains these moments, because like you're trapped in a plane for two hours next to each other, and so what are you going to do? So I listened to his story, and he's a green bean guy. He lives in Knoxville. He, has a, he works in green beans down in Florida, and he drives these big, huge harvester things that are spinning around, and he has a crew, and they're harvesting green beans a couple times a year. 
At our garden, we can only do it like once, maybe twice if we're lucky. They can do it all year long. Plant, harvest, plant, harvest, well, either stuff in between too. So here's this lady on the other side of me, and all she can do is put her head down on the tray and put a cover over her head. That's what she's doing. And I'm thinking, okay, it's a little odd. We're engaged in a great discussion. She's over here. Now, I said to her, I mentioned this. I said, what do you know about genetically modified foods? That, because that's just how I am. <laughs> and, and he was like, well, I, I don't know. And off came the cover from that lady's head. And she got up like she'd been listening the whole time. And she said, let me tell you about genetically modified foods. They cause great damage to people. They're not for us to consume. And man, she went rattling on. Here's the whole thing. She knew what she believed. And she was passionate about what she believed. She listened to all this other prattle. She didn't care about any of that stuff. But we started talking about something that she believed in, and wham, she was up like she'd been listening the whole time. I think she really was. (laughs) All right? So the idea is this. When the position of salvation is settled in our mind, we should be operating like this. We should be passionate about it, like this lady was passionate about it. We should be ready to share at a moment's opportunity and keep it simple so people aren't confused. Keep it simple. Don't overly complicate it. Settle the issue in your mind because God's position produces fruit and God's position is settled about the gospel. Now, again, you think, well, we know the gospel and we've heard this a hundred times. Listen, I challenge you to read the book of Galatians and you see how many times Paul deals with it. You know why Paul deals with it? Because we deal with it. We want to complicate it. We want to make people do things that are not necessary when it comes to being saved. Stick with the simplicity of the gospel. Let the Holy Spirit get a hold of people and move them to make the changes that He knows needs to take place, not that we think need to take place. All right, last idea. Be ready to defend your position. Listen, there are fake followers that are out there There were fake followers in the days of Paul and all they want to do is confuse people. Let me tell you, they're so fake that they don't even know that they're destined to hell. The scripture tells us that Jesus is talking to people and people are saying, Lord, didn't we do this and didn't we do this? And Jesus point to them as, I never knew you. So in their mind, they're so deceived that they think they're doing the right thing and they think they're sharing their message the right way and they don't even know the message. They haven't even believed the message. So false followers exist. There are fake followers out there. The scripture says that they come in amongst us to spy out our liberty and to bring us under bondage. So when someone starts talking to you about keeping the traditions of men rather than keeping the simplicity of the gospel, be aware. Be aware of this. Because it's the gospel that makes us right with God, saves us. It's an inside job. They're secretly spying out liberty. They have a mission to bring people to bondage. Do not submit to false teaching. Do not submit yourself to false doctrine, particularly concerning the gospel message. So, let me ask, there are three minutes left if you have some questions about this content. Here's the overarching principle. What you think about the gospel determines what you do with it. What you believe about it. God has settled it. It produces fruit. It should be settled in our mind. And we should be ready to defend it when the opportunity rises. What are your thoughts? Anything? I said, um, I did a class, one of your classes here, and you uh, brought up the point 
that with the gospel we have kind of a reverse thought process or a reverse process of how it should work. We go get people and bring them into church to hear the professional. Yeah, to hear the professional. When when we're the we're the ambassadors, second Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And it is our responsibility to proclaim this message. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we may become the sons of God. I think that's the idea. So the point is simple. God made him sin for us so that we could become his sons and daughters. That's what it means there. All right, very good. You're right. We have a reverse thought about this. I think these folks have similar kinds of things going on. And Paul is trying to correct that thinking. All right? It's a good point. I said that. <laughs> you remembered it. Okay. Something else? Anything else? Go ahead. Yes. I What I appreciate, one thing I appreciate about Gary when he preaches, uh, and I listen every time when, he, when he's leading that prayer, he's laser focused. This is exactly what you need. A, B, C. It's that simple. It's very good. Excellent. And you know what? Jesus taught that way. Yeah. Jesus taught using stories. And he, he, and he knew how to preach, right? He could have done that A, B, C and done a poem. But what he did was he told stories and people were moved. He were, they were moved. Excellent. Anything else? Good. Good comments. All right. Go ahead. Oh, well, I've got some ideas. I'm thinking that I'm just going to lock it down. Well, first of all, I'm going to go visit Yank. Yank's on the mountain there in Grandview. And Yank is not from around here. He's a Yankee. They call him Yank. But he also has a machine that yanks stuff out and pulls it out. So I'm going to try him first. Otherwise, I'm going to lock the door down and put some of that foam in there that like expands and hardens and just do not use on the side of the door. Yeah, you can get duct tape. Yes, I'm trying to avoid the duct tape. <laughs> it's going to leave a stain. All right, very good. Now, what we're supposed to do is take a few moments and uh, spend some time together writing prayer requests down uh, and at your table, uh, pray together like you normally do. Uh, and thank you for your time and your attention for today. Pleasure being here. Thank you.